Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? It's going well. You're here in Nashville. I am. We are actually again this week recording in the same place. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. A few times a year, but uh, it's good to have you here in Nashville. And boy, uh, we, we talked last week how it was, it was kind of a slow week. Not so much this week. Not so much this week, no. Funny how that pendulum swings back the other way. First of all, I want to thank our new sponsor for the month. I am going. Authors Danny Aiken and Bruce Ashford are calling today's church members to lives of going, whether going around the world or to people right where they live, going out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Between the two of them, Aiken and Ashford have trained thousands of men and women in both the mandates and methods of going to every nation. Now they have created a resource for individuals and churches to use together in calling even more to go. You can find out more about I am going at lifeway.com. We've got the link for the book here. I know you guys at Southeastern are excited about this one, Amy. Oh, we're really excited. And actually, we'll put links as well to um, bruceashford.net and dannyakin.com. There's a, a contest going on oh, right really? now. Yes, uh, where you can take a picture with uh, you right, right where you're going on anything, napkin, dry race board anything and uh put it out on social media with the hashtag i am going and you can be entered to win we've got free audiobook codes free copies of the book and some i am going t-shirts okay so i saw uh, eric schumacher i think did that yesterday yes on Twitter. he I did so we're we're tracking those right now i didn't realize it was um, part of a giveaway it is so uh we'll put we'll put links to the the posts at uh dr ashford and dr aiken's site as well and uh you can enter to win cool all right, great-looking book uh, and uh, from a great publisher as well. Absolutely. <laughs> B&H. All right, well, let's jump into the news this week. All right, Amy, starting off the news this week, this is gold. <laughs> I am really excited former, about this. Former SBC officer says he and Alan Keyes started the birther claim. I, all right, first of all, all right, let's just, just read the story. Tell us about the story, Amy, and then I have a couple questions. So this news dropped uh, th- this week, dropped on Wednesday, um, and it's about one of our former Southern Baptist Convention officers. He was the second vice president uh, back several years ago, Wiley Drake. We've talked about him on the podcast before. Everyone was missing him uh, when he he didn't make it to St. Louis. We talked Um, about his presidential run. That's right, running for president of the United States. And he has surfaced with a claim, just wanting, I guess, to give credit where credit is due, that... um, uh, there's kind of been this back and forth in the U.S. presidential election about this the birther claim, as most people know, um, about the the legitimacy of President Obama's birth certificate. And uh, Donald Trump has kind of said that Hillary Clinton started, that her campaign started the birther campaign years ago. They've said that Donald Trump's campaign or Donald Trump started it himself. And, and Wiley but, says, nope, it was me. It was me, yes. So uh, he, yeah, so I, I'm not sure what else to, to say, but... Well, the story yes. is fascinating. So you've got to click on the link and go to the story. All right, so Drake was nominated as Key's vice presidential running mate in 2008. That's when he says that they came up with the birther claim, or they Alan, not, not yeah. came up with it, Alan but Keys, yeah, Alan yes. Keyes. Um, but they were the ones, the first ones to start making waves with that. Okay, because they claimed that he was Barry Sotoro not Barack Obama. And in in the article, they even link to the Snopes debunking of that, which is fantastic. And, and you know, that you don't get to link to Snopes every day as a journalist right. um, in your articles, but especially in a quote. Uh, but 
Anyway, so there's a full story about this. And even though Drake said last fall that he was going to run for president by himself without any party affiliation, um, he has actually withdrawn his candidacy. Yeah, that that was news to me. I did not know that he had suspended his campaign. Yes, and he has endorsed? Donald Trump. Yeah. So. um, So, Not a whole lot to say about this except there there it is there it is folks and anyone who was kind of wondering what he was doing this summer um well but there's there's more to this yes the quote from wiley drake i go way back with hillary i helped bill clinton become the comeback kid in arkansas back in the 80s he i didn't know he was originally from arkansas i didn't either um, i always just saw him as he said in 1980 clinton credited him and other southern baptists with helping him regain office in 1982 you know, I actually missed that part of the story when I had read it earlier. That's that's fascinating. Well, and it gets even better. The quotes from Wiley Drake. He was governor of the state, and then he lost the governor's race. I'm talking about that. He came to the pastors and said, I want to put righteousness back in the governor's mansion, and we believed him. He lied, and of course, we helped him get back in the governor's mansion. I know those people pretty well. I know Hillary well. There's so many good quotes He's here. everywhere. This is amazing. He's everywhere in American history. He's like the Forrest Gump of the SBC. Okay, I'm I'm going to not comment on that. Um but this is a very fascinating story surfaced this week, real intersection of what's going on in American culture and the Southern Baptist Convention and he is a part of our uh recent history, uh second vice president of the SBC and still what I would say is one of the greatest nominating speeches. Yes. In, I wonder if there's a video of that. I got to find that. Oh, there is a video okay. of that. It's a. I'll. I'll. We'll drop the link in there because those of you who were not in uh, Greensboro, and I want to say that was my first SBC. Oh, uh, you picked one to go to. I did. I did. It was amazing, and I remember being in the room when that speech was being read, and uh, it. It was through the years learning more kind of details about that speech, which made it even more yeah. fun. But uh, but being there was just very unique. So we'll we'll drop that as well. But one of the greatest nominating speeches in modern uh, Southern Baptist history. All right, tied to this, some new Lifeway research this past week came out among Protestant pastors. Who do you plan to vote for in the 2016 presidential election? 40% still don't have a clue. 40% undecided, 32% Donald Trump, 19% Hillary Clinton, and just 4% for Gary Johnson. That's incredible. And and this was a survey of 1,000 Protestant senior pastors, and the research was conducted August 22nd to September 16th. So, I mean, it was pre-debate, but it was post-convention. So it was right into the, the general election season. People still uh, undecided, just trying to figure out. Um, it said, uh, as Scott McConnell explained, Donald Trump does better with pastors than Hillary Clinton, but both are still less popular than undecided. Yeah, and one of the comments, or one of the big planks in the Trump platform, and we've talked about it here on the podcast, was the repealing of the Johnson Amendment, which uh, forbids pastors and to from making, uh, among other things, making endorsements, political endorsements from the pulpit. One percent of pastors have pol- publicly, during a church service, have endorsed a candidate for public office this year. And ninety eight percent have not. So that Johnson Amendment, uh, it, we, you know, we well now we have to ask the question. The Johnson Amendment is kind of what I said not to don't do. Yeah, yeah. The but there's I, been this big push against that. 
Right. You know, you have the freedom to say what you want in the pulpit, pulpit freedom Sunday, whatever it was called. Right. And it hasn't gotten much traction now. Obviously by this. I suppose people in uh, Donald Trump's campaign would say, well, that's because this amendment is in place. We'll lift it off and that number will go up. I don't know that that's I mean, one percent is very low. Yeah. Very, very low. So it doesn't really demonstrate that it's a value. Um you know, or that it's something that's of major concern. And obviously, you know, issues, uh, other issues seem to be incredibly important. The question, which characteristic of a candidate is most important in deciding how to cast your vote? Uh, the f- highest was personal character at 27% and then 20% for likely Supreme Court nominees, 12% uh, religious freedom, 10% position on abortion, and then you go down uh, so the first four are are more. I don't really know how to lump them together. It's, I, I guess moral issues, character, Supreme Court nominees, religious, I mean, religious freedom, freedom is, and abortion. I mean, those are yeah. those are kind of moralish issues. Before you get to the the pragmatic political issues like economy, national security, immigration, those kind of things. Those are far much further down. Yeah. in the list. Uh, so now I, that's good to see from pastors that they're putting. Sure. Moral issues first. Sure. And let, let's go back to the endorsement conversation for a second, because you brought up 1% publicly during a church service, and then we kind of discussed back and forth. Still, it's really low. They asked them, have you endorsed personally outside of my church role? And that's still only at 22%. Yeah. So Seven, not even a quarter. Yeah, 77% have said no. Uh, so I think that actually adds to your uh, sort of analysis that the Johnson Amendment, I mean, I don't hear a lot of conversation about it, but that that it may not be as high up that yeah. particular component of um, religious freedom. Yeah, and there's a lot more information here in this story. Be sure to click on this link. Uh, just dropped this week. Some great research coming out of Life yeah. and Research the last couple of weeks. And but but there's one, one thing I do want to point out, one of the extra research points, Amy. Among African-American pastors, 37% likely vote for Clinton. Only 37%. Six percent, only six percent plan to vote for Trump. Fifty-four percent still undecided. That's amazing. And also, I want to just throw out this recommendation, and this is for any time that we share Lifeway research. Um, when you click on the link, there is a the article is always very good. Bob Smetana does a great job of writing these and working with Scott McConnell to distill down kind of a bird's eye view. But always at the bottom, there are opportunities to download the entire research, and you can kind of see a presentation that shows all the questions. That's just additional education uh, yeah. for all of us. So I recommend you go down and, and click on that. Yeah, and see all the, whole the breakdowns thing. are in yes. that. And yes. um, two two points in here that were a bit obvious to me. Democratic pastors are most likely to vote for Clinton. Republican pastors most likely to vote for Trump. Shocking. Yes. Thank you again, Life Research. Great research again this week from you guys. Really fitting in with all that's going on here in our uh, nation. And now we got some good news, Amy. CP, yes. last week, end of the budget year, up 4.95% over budget projection. Yes, we've been expecting this. We knew it would be up, just didn't know the exact percentage. Or I didn't because I'm... I kind of avoid math at all costs. I'm sure some people were able to see this coming. They told me there would be no math. That's right. That's right. I tweeted that just yes. the other night. That's my favorite, favorite Saturday Night Live debate uh, skit from the Gerald Ford years. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I don't, I don't keep track in that way. I just know it's going to be good. Uh, so 4.95% over budget projection. That's very good news. Yes. And uh, it's just some state-by-state breakdowns. If you get our data point, you would have seen this 
earlier this week, uh, the data point email that went out, Florida went up 25.23% from 11.9 million to about 14.9 million. It was about a $3 million increase in their cooperative program, giving much to the credit of Tommy Green and their budget reallocation from, it was about 60-40 that they were keeping and and giving away. I know know their budget was different, but the actuals were about 60-40. Now it's more 49-51, where they they have gone above and beyond that 50-50 state breakdown. And so kudos to them. Another big jump, Iowa, 36.04% in their cooperative program. Congratulations. Thank you, Tim Lubinas up in Iowa. Uh, Washington, D.C., all right. Small numbers, small churches, but a big jump there nonetheless from 11,000 to 20,000. It's a 70% jump in D.C. Uh, Dakotas went up 20%. Colorado up 14%. Alaska up 13%. Minnesota, Wisconsin up 30%. Nevada up 18%. New England up 23%. New Mexico up 10%. Ohio up 16%. I mean, just all up, these up, double up. digit increases amazing and only one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven of the 42 showed a decrease and and many of those decreases were slim you know basically break even over the year before now this always leads to my question i think i've asked this before and again we're getting into math economics things that i uh, really choose not to reflect on as often as possible but does this now change their budget projection do they you know does the spc go back and change their budget projection for the next fiscal year right no okay it hasn't in the past let's put it that way okay so it stays the same so we can you we know, pass the budget in june right at the annual meeting because it makes you ask the question all right so do you kind of adjust your projection so then next year we're looking for a really high number but if it's the same as this year you, you know what i'm asking yeah. but if th- they don't th- change th- it then you know we yeah. need to see the and we we want to see more than 4.95 percent yeah and I think what you see is a an increased budget, maybe planning, expecting these, because you've got this trend now of a couple of years of increased giving. So maybe you kind of plan for that. You plan for the state shifts because you kind of know what's going on. I mean, I'm sure they take all of that into consideration. Right. But at the same time, you don't go overboard and think, oh, we'll just plan for another 5% next right. year. Right. And then get yourself caught with only a 3% increase, and now yeah. you're short. So. And uh, remember that modest gains. Yeah. And that's a, uh, so that's $9.23 million over the goal. Amazing. And when they have an overage, this, yep. this isn't just, okay, now we go have a big staff party or anything like Frank that. Frank Page has a queso fountain. Not at all. No. All the overages are divided according to the same uh, CP allocation formula. So 51%. Except, except for IMB. Because they only get fifty point change percent, and it bumps up to fifty one percent because the CP or because the executive committee takes a little bit less. Yeah, of you're the right. You're right. So fifty one percent of that nine point two three million dollars goes to the International Mission Board. Um, SBC operating budget gets only two point four percent of that overage, and then um, then other entities receive Kinda the keep same their percentage. Same. Yeah. Yes. So there's a there's an overage formula so that um, when more money is is given to the CP, more money goes to the nations. Yeah. And, and a lot of the states do that as well. I know uh, Southern Baptists of Texas do that. If they exceed their amount, they pass on even more yeah. to uh, the CP. So 
congratulations again, and thanks for all the hard work for you pastors and state convention guys that are doing the the hard work of promoting CP in your states. We appreciate it, and uh, I know Amy and the other CP-funded entities do as well. All right, moving on to the next piece of news, an interesting reversal. Uh, this is not really Baptist-related, but it's Baptist-used, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Crossway they had, publishes the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, and announced a few weeks ago that they were going to, you know, this is our translation, it's done, we're not editing it anymore, it is in stone. Well, they came back last week and said, well, maybe not. And they're going to allow for future edits of the uh, ESV Bible because of the decision that they called a, quote, mistake. I think, now that it was interesting. So when this came out, it was sort of, everyone was trying to figure out what was going on. From what I was reading, I mean, part of this was because of people's desires to, you, you get one Bible, you know, you write in it. This is my challenge all the time. You make your notes mm-hmm. in it. You do, this kind of becomes your yeah. your Bible you carry. Then a few and years down the road. They revise the translation and then you think, well, what do I do? Do I keep this old one? Do I get a new one? Do I transfer my notes? Well, and then they get mad at the publisher because it looks like you're just doing this to have people buy new Bibles and right. you just, you know, right. and Crossway's so I, not about that. Right. No, not at all. So I think they were trying to give some level of stability, stability to it, um, but... The response uh, was, I think, not exactly what they were anticipating. Not at all. And so it just led them to reflect and say, you know, we hear, we hear the people, and uh, we're we're going to reverse that decision. So, Which is a good call. I yeah. mean, they listened to the people and understood the point that they were making, and said, you know what, you make a good yeah, point. That's good what point. we'll do. We'll do that. So uh, thanks to them for uh, that. I mean, that's just a, a good way to to handle issues. Uh, that that arise sometimes between uh, publishers and and constituencies. So some sad news from Canada. Alan Schmidt, the first Canadian convention executive director, uh, died at 83 this past week. Yes. Uh, so he the the Canadian Southern Baptist Convention was founded in 1985. He was uh, the first executive director, and he retired in 1998. Uh, that convention now has 300 plus churches, which is really incredible um, in Canada. He, he was known as uh, his successor described him. We have the, the Baptist Press story that says, a model of someone who loved God and did whatever it took to serve him and his churches. And uh, they talked about his, uh, his honesty, his integrity, uh, how much they um, appreciated him. There's some quotes from uh, Henry Blackaby in here, um, other other people, just to tell this story. You know, it is an interesting thing, and I experienced this this summer. We talked about it a little bit when I was on my vacation. That when you go to Canada, you see churches everywhere that are boarded up, have been closed for a very long time, and it's an amazing thing, and it's a sad thing. You just you have all these little towns that are really far from each other, so there are churches in all these towns, and some of them, who knows how long they've been closed. Mm. Um, and then we came upon a church uh, in an area that was little small areas, but this church was a Canadian Southern Baptist Convention church that was working with uh, the SBC, actually working with North Carolina Baptists yeah. to plant churches all over that region. So there's good work being done uh, by the CSBC, um, but I know this is, is sad news for them this week. Yes, it is. And uh, moving on to uh, another follow-up of a story we've talked about in the past, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, 
We talked about uh, membership issues that they've been having with people pulling out and then other uh, groups pulling out. And now they have revised their membership policy and have six criteria that governing members, the, that's the ones that can vote, must meet. Christian mission, institutional type and accreditation, cooperation and participation, uh, which is basically paying dues, institutional integrity, which goes to financial ethics, employment policies, and the final one, Christian distinctives and advocacy. Uh, the sixth criterion, it has four subpoints and it requires belief in God as Earth's creator, a marriage between a man and a woman, the worth of every human being, and the need for racial reconciliation. I mean, we've been following this for a little while and just sort of trying to track what, how they were going to handle this. And it looks like they've handled it with a very clear statement of what it means uh, to be a part of this, to be a part of this group. Yes, and this implementation ex- is expected to go into full effect July 1 of 2017, beginning uh, the next membership year. So it'll be fascinating to see if there's anything else out of this. But it's good to see them holding firm to the biblical definition of marriage. Yeah, and we need to remember how important this organization is. Um, we, we have a story in there that kind of gives all of it. It talks about the founding, that they they were founded uh, 40 years ago in common commitment to Christ-centered education, also and to preserve their right to hire only professing Christians. Mm. That's a very important issue now yeah. uh, that's starting to pop up in some states uh, and so it's important that we keep some of these groups and associations together uh, just so that we can kind of help each other and stand together in addressing that issue in particular um, of hiring practices as uh, as there are some lawsuits and things that have popped up on that. So it's good that they have done the work to kind of establish these things because Things were, were looking a little bit rocky with schools leaving and things like that. But out of conviction, this helps kind of solidify what it means uh, to be part of the CCCU. All right. And finally, today in the news, Phoenix SBC. It'll be here before you know it. June. Housing and hotel registration opened this past week, October 1st. So if you haven't gotten your housing for SBC 2017 in Phoenix, you can now do so at the annual meeting website. We've got the link to the information about that. Or you can call 1-800-967-8852. Yeah, and I highly recommend that you do this. Uh, It's a very easy online registration process. And even if you are not, you know, if you're not absolutely certain uh, go ahead and do that. Get get your room, uh, get it taken care of. I want to encourage as many people as possible to plan to come to Phoenix because it's important for us to gather every year. And hotel rates, I mean, you can't beat, for downtown hotel rates, $89 on the low end, 165 on the high end. That is extremely oh, that's affordable fantastic. for downtown yes. hotel rates in any area. The Sheraton Grand Phoenix is the official convention hotel. So if you want to stay um, at the official convention hotel, you can stay at the Sheraton, uh, but there's 15 other recommended hotels in the area that you can stay at. And downtown Phoenix, I was there in 2011. I uh, was too. And that's where we first met, I believe. Yes. And um, it just a, it's fun. It's hot, yes, but it's, yes. it's a fun little downtown area. I really enjoyed it down there. It, it is. And uh, yes, it is hot. We just need to all be prepared yeah, for that. Just, but And I think we all know that going in. Yeah. It's hot. It's yeah. like we went to Houston that year. It's going to be hot. Nope. Phoenix is different. Yeah, but Phoenix is totally different. Yeah. But you hot. knew it going into it. And yes. you're like, well, okay. Here we are. And uh, and it's always important as many of us as can come uh, to gather together every year 
uh, where we do the work of Southern Baptists. All right. That's going to do it for the news this week. Amy, it's now time for my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. This week, I'm taking it all the way back to 1792. Okay. Which is... is, uh, is I, was Alexander Hamilton a... A Baptist, no. I'm sorry, we're not going to talk about Alexander Hamilton today. We're going to get. But this is SBC history. SBC didn't exist until the 1800s. Just a minute. Okay. This is incredibly important to SBC history. All right. We're going to go back to 1792 in England. Uh, a woman, Mrs. Beebe, never heard of that name before, but Mrs. Beebe Wallace, um, a a group of young men gathered in her parlor on October 2nd. 12 ministers from small churches all over Kettering, England to found the Baptist Missionary Society on October 2nd, 1792 to send William Carey um, to go out to the nations. And so this, obviously, this is not Southern Baptists. um, It was English Baptists, but... This is an incredibly important piece to our history because it was a gathering of people coming for the purpose of missions. You had uh, Baptist churches that were popping up, uh, General Baptist, Particular Baptist, popping up in in different places in that part of Europe, um, and even associations that were forming. But when these men came together for the purpose of world missions, of global missions, uh, that was really a precursor to some of the the values that we have still today. So it isn't actually a moment in Southern Baptist history, but it, it certainly had a huge, huge impact on what we do now. And many people look back uh, to the work of William Carey and really see that as kind of a forefather uh, to, to us. So we are a people that say we can do more together than we can do apart. We exist as um, as a group to take the gospel to the nations, um, and I would contend that it all started this week in SBC history. Wow. Okay. Well, you you made that fit in nicely. I will say Thank that. Thank you. Next week, I'll go back to something really like odd and obscure. Yeah. Well, that was kind of odd and obscure. I didn't know that was the date, but that's, uh, that's fascinating stuff. Yes. I, learned that. I was ba- in my we class. A, we have a Southern Baptist College named... For William Carey. After William Carey, yes. Um, so, and uh, Dr. Aiken has written about William Carey. Mm-hmm. He's, he's spoken about William Carey. He, William Carey is one of his missionary heroes, so we hear a lot about it, a lot about him uh, on Southeastern's campus. But I actually was, I'm, I'm taking Baptist history this semester and uh, got to that part, knew some about this, but didn't remember the date. And I thought October 2nd. So that's how I kind of it works. popped on it. But right. next week I'll have something a little lighter, I think. All right. Well, thanks for that, Amy. And uh, always enjoy this week in SBC history, even though this week wasn't SBC. So once again, I want to thank our sponsor. I am going to check out the new book from Drs. Aiken and Ashford. Uh, you can check that out, the link. And everything that we've talked about today is at the website at sbcthisweek.com. And that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is a new curriculum and discipleship resource from LifeWay. It's called Disciples Path, The Journey. It's a one-year small group study that focuses on helping both new and existing believers understand and apply core Christian doctrines to become more mature disciples. So one of the questions we get here at Lifeway is, you know, how do we better do discipleship? How, you know, what's our best resources for this? What we did here at Lifeway was bring people into a room and say, all right, if you're going to disciple somebody for one year, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to learn? How do you want them to study it? 
and this is what came out of it. It's the journey, and this curriculum lasts for one year, so you can do it. it it's a perfect thing for new Christians or uh, new people to your church to really get involved in discipleship. If you wanted to do a discipleship emphasis in your church for 2017, this is your resource. So, Amy, your resource of the week is? Mine is a book that's coming out on November 1st, but you can pre-order it now. You like putting um, a pre-ordered book in the resource I, of the week. I do, but go ahead, pre-order it, then you get it in your mailbox. And it's like Christmas. November like, oh, 1st. I forgot I ordered this. Yes. Uh, it's called Tweetable Nietzsche. Oh, I saw this the other day. Yes. I saw somebody tweet about this. I am very excited about this. I got to look at a copy. I got to borrow it for a couple of days, um, a pre-release copy. Uh, But this is a book by Ivan Spencer. He is a professor at the college at Southeastern, uh, teaches philosophy and history of ideas, actually was the one that developed our uh, history of ideas curriculum there at the college. Um, And he had this idea. He was trying to figure out how to take the people that they study in the history of ideas curriculum at Southeastern and break it down in a way that, uh, that anyone can understand. So he's taken Nietzsche's ideas and broken them down into statements that are 140 characters or less. And then he'll have sort of a short, uh, brief explanation of it. Uh, he told me that he, he gave it to his mother and his mother read a hundred pages and said, I get it. So he's got ideas maybe to do some more, but I, I heard about it, was so excited when I got to actually look at it this week. Uh, I think it is a really great concept. Um, I'm, I'm very excited about this book. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Amy, it's always good to see you. Always good to have you here in Nashville. Great to be here. This and I didn't have to get on the flight this time. So. Right, right. Great to be here. It's a very early morning flight. Uh, but came you're in town. Tell them why you're in town. Uh, so I am in town because... I have for many years enjoyed um, sort of an online blog community called The Rabbit Room. Uh, It's a lot of writers, musicians, artists that just sort of come together. And they sponsor uh, or host a a conference every year called Hutchmoot, which doesn't usually make sense uh, to most people. But the idea is a hutch is where rabbits live and a moot is a gathering so rabbit room gathering oh, okay hutch moot that's the idea i get it now uh yes but the the rabbit room was named after the room in the back of the eagle and child pub where c.s lewis and J.R. tolkien mm-hmm. and others used to gather and collectively you know sort of talk about their work so that's what this was sort of supposed to be so it's a very cool. small conference about 150 people and i come as often as i can have a friend that i meet up with so this is total personal trip um, looking forward to the weekend yep and uh, andrew peterson yes he's, he's a big host of that so yes big fans of andrew peterson here at lifeway we had him uh, at the the etch conference my wife was at this week he and ellie holcomb uh, did a little concert oh, Tuesday fantastic. night for that. Beth absolutely loved that. All right. Well, good to have you here in Nashville and good to have you folks listening to us again. Thank you again for listening and downloading and telling your friends and check out everything at sbcthisweek.com. Go click on the links, read the story about Wiley Drake and all the other different things that we have, all the research from Life of Research. Uh, just some great stuff this week. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.